Love Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business, and are we going to have fun this time. Today, we're going to take you right to those precipice moments, those executive decisions, both historical and current, that have sent huge enterprises either teetering or towering, those brilliantly blessed best and those blunderfully worst executive choices. And with each one, we're going to shake our heads and you and I are going to share the wisdom, learn from these decisions, and we're going to take heed. So whether you are one of those daring entrepreneurial souls from that amazingly can-do culture of New Zealand, or you are finding your opportunities in the sport fishing industry from the magnificent area of Yukon, Canada, pull your chair up a little closer and partake of our Feast of Wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your career thrive and your ventures flourish. And so moving right into the realm of flourish and fail, why don't we just get right to our list of Bart's best and worst executive decisions and begin with the magic world of film and stars and Hollywood. (laughs) Number one, very shortly after Thomas Alva Edison invented motion pictures, the great inventor naturally sought to capitalize on this this whole new market that was out there, and he launched Edison Studios in 1894. They had it made. He had virtually every competitive advantage. He had all the patents, and his were really, for the first three years, the only films that uh, were making any uh, they were making any note whatsoever. And then came Tightwad Tom's disastrous decision. And this is a quote. I'm going to give it to you. One of the executives said we should. Uh, he wanted to change, give credits on the screen. To which Mr. Edison replied, and I quote: "No, don't put the actors' names on the screens. If the people know who they are, they will only ask for more money." <laughs> oh God! So. Oh, boy. At this point, you know, it had long been, I I should say, a a great show business tradition to to make stars. Uh, P.T. Barnum had done it with the Swedish Nightingale and and all through vaudeville and opera, but tight-fisted Tom would have none of this. And so the whole star system from Charlie Chaplin right on to Brad Pitt today and all the stars today, he sacrificed for a few dollars in salary. If you want to learn something, you can never get too much. Uh, you can never. You will always get more than you need if you give all of your people credit. And poor Tom never saw that. And within seven years of opening, Edison Studios collapsed, and some gentlemen from up uh, from Hollywood. Rather, they moved out to Hollywood to escape Tom's grip, began to do little little movies that somehow they seemed to do very well by giving credit to others. <laughs> All right, that's a bad one, but let's uh, so let's move on to a positive note. A positive note, and I cannot help. This is a personal favorite of mine. The late and 
dearly lamented Hugh Hefner. He, he, he did so many things right that led to his garnering in eight short years an empire worth $20 million, and it, it just soared from there, becoming uh, the, the top global magazine ever published. He, the Playboy Bunny was the most recognized symbol on the planet after the American flag. Anyway, he founded this in 1953 with an idea. Uh, and it was the liberated Playboy who raced with defiant joy into a, all through this land of thou shalt nots at the time. And then five years after it, he came to a decision. He said, we have to solidify what we're talking about here. He gave his idea a solid example himself. He set himself up at the Playboy Mansion. He had photos taken there, which, by the way, was an exquisite tax dodge. But uh, he developed the lifestyle in pajamas rather than face the tight white collar of the times. He surrounded himself with lovely ladies, with an endless array of popular singers and luminaries. He solidified his concept. It's a little bit like... uh, taking the concept of computing and computer games and moving it into a solid, enviable desktop machine. That's what we're talking about here. So it, the lesson to, if we learn anything, make it tangible, make it real. And it doesn't hurt to have a little sex and good taste tossed into. But, so, uh, at this point, uh, after this third, well, I guess you should say a tasteful nosh at today's Feast of Wisdom, allow me to uh, fulfill my duties as proper host and lay before you a few utensils for furthering of our feast. And first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you, hearing my voice, that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career. And seeing that, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you lift your head and gaze closely at your coworkers and see how you might uh, give a little, share a little, and get a lot more out of that relationship? Or will you let your potential friendships die of neglect? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can hear you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. So I am pulling it out, and here we are. Okay, okay. This is number 79. Hedge fund managers are like physicians. Their clients, both their clients, allow them to bury their mistakes with no personal penalties. (laughs) And as an afterthought, the SEC, Security and Exchange Commission, when they lifted that old ruling that allowed only qualified investors to go hedge funding, well, it allowed uh, every investor who uh, the dubious privilege of placing their life savings in the hand of a manager who had absolutely no skin in the game. So as always, the maxim applies, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. 
your investments, as always, are your own. And if you smirk the bit over that quip, we've got them literally by the books full. Just visit BartsBooks.com and pick up your copy of the 101 Best Business Quips and the exquisitely, cleverly titled 102 Best Business Quips. You're, you're going to have a, a whole lot of laughter ammunition that'll, that you can share with your fellow wage slaves and enlighten everyone's day and make yourself a little more popular. And as a third utensil, uh, we will now sumptuously spoon you the answer to last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the author who noted, life is too short to live other people's dreams. Uh, Those words were spoken by a man we've just mentioned, America's greatest playboy, Mr. Hugh Hefner. And stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting your way comes another quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. And if you're correct, your knowledge is going to earn you a cerebrally swelling gift, fresh from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. So now, with utensils in hand, let your imagination and sense of regret and awe accompany you as we continue our roster of the worst and the best executive decisions. And number three is is one that I personally had uh, benefit from myself, and I've always loved this. April 15th, 2015, AOF, uh, let me try, excuse me, Eof Jolakakal let loose its fury. That is, that was the name of the volcano that stopped immediately all air traffic in 20 nations and backed up all flights worldwide. And many travels just came to an end all over, all over the globe. Um, Europe was absolutely frozen, so all of the the east coast of North America. And all the airlines were faced with the what do we do now? And here is the one that handled it so well. Willie Walsh, CEO of British Airways, decided that the customer comes first. He kept the airlines open all the time. He kept the desks fully manned. People could come in and find out what was going. He didn't close down, even though there was no flights going out. Everything was ready for the restart. He put up all passengers who had gone halfway, uh, such as myself and my wife, who were going to uh, the Czech Republic. We landed in Heathrow. We were put up in hotels, all paid for with our food by British Airways. And meanwhile, Willie himself would fly up, and with great public show, to be fair, and see what was going on over the volcano when the flights could restart. And as as a result, he won the goodwill of all the people, and British Airways came out from this disaster just smelling like a hero. Meanwhile, to, to contrast this, there was American Airlines. They closed everything. They shut off their phones. They never answered anything. And they have, for themselves, won the repute of only if there's no other airline that flies there will I fly on that on them choice. That's the reputation they earned. So the, the uh, moral to that story, my friend, is very, very obvious. <laughs> and uh, moving on to number four, uh, this one came from 
our uh, a former guest and serial board chair of major corporate firms, Mr. Mike Marty. I, I, this is fascinating. Do you? How many of you out there remember the internet giant David Weatherall? Remember him? Well, here's why you don't quite remember unless you're a, some sort of uh, cyber geek. In 1998, Dave began by purchasing a small firm called College Marketing Group, Inc. They did some publishing and other things, and uh, they quickly soared in the world of Internet publishing and interactive use of, of uh, reaching out to readers and browsers and uh, they used Netscape and they sort of got stuck with them but at any rate their stock soared and new firms were acquired and many many complex fiscal manipulations went on in the background of this firm that led the stock to go up and plummet but the main blunder came when Google became aware of this meteoric startup racing towards fiscal heights in its own field they offered to buy the firm they offered Weatherall and his board either Google stock or straight cash. Mike Marty and all the folks on the board urged for the stock. It was obvious Google was going places, do you think? Uh, seeing the potential. But Weatherall held firm. His eyes were gleaming on the cash in hand. And in the end, Weatherall went for the cash, netting CGMI a few million instead of the literally billions that could have come back into that stock and into that company and really kept it going at the same pace and to become an amazing Internet competitor. Where are they now? They've morphed slightly. Anyway, I think we all have to take our eyes when we, when we invest in anything and look how far down the road and what is, does this mean for how long? Ah, you you know all of that. <laughs> anyway, if you've just joined us, you're listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the profoundly misperceived realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com. We're on many stations, and but the easiest way to find the episodes you want is just visit theartoftheceo.com. Uh, moving on. Now, at this point, I'm going to uh, ask you to take a bit of a step back into history. 2.3 millennia, exactly. Um, to Mr. Alexander the Great. This is a man who led his troops from out of Macedon, from Greece, conquered the whole chunk of the globe from Greece to India, one of the greatest empires ever amassed, certainly in one lifetime, and Alexander truly deserved the title of the great. He did many, many things right, and of course it was a great military ability. But I'm going to talk of an organizational strategy right here that he did that was in I, I read this at 15, and I felt this was the making of his empire, and I've never been able to get it out of my mind what a brilliant move it was. After conquering the Persian Empire, 331 B.C., it w he had a span of two, over 2,000 miles, all that could only be covered by a horse, camel, and foot. Now, he looked at this, and he matched his greatest need with his greatest talent. 
This is organizational genius. He took a man, one of his best generals, Parmenian, who had helped him in so many ways bring bring his victories to the fore, and he said, Parmenian, you are going to be in charge of my supply lines. Now, here you're taking a frontline man who's right on the end. It's like having your top salesman go back and run your distribution department. Do you really want to do that? This was the greatest need, and this was the best man for it. And as a result, Alexander had brilliantly set up supply lines that fed him all the way across and enabled him to march onward, ever onward, in all the way to, through India. Uh, later on, I should say, Alexander did make a great blunder with this man, but that's another story. And I have just one quick question for you all. What uh, do Alexander the Great and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Of course, they both have the same middle name. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I know. What can I tell you? Uh, at this dramatic juncture, I think it is time uh, that we take... Um, well, with your sense of humor and judgment all primed with speak, why don't we rest a bit and take gentle pause and partake of a brief sorbet from our Feast of Wisdom. And it is time for me to allow to you, uh, to mention to you, the company by whose good graces we're here today. And that company is Leadership USA. This is the firm that is sagaciously devoted to unleashing human potential. Imagine, if you will, you, you sitting down at a table with business's top masters, I mean the real players, given literally, the, these are the people who are literally given blank checks by Fortune 100 CEOs across the globe. Now continue your fantasy and imagine that in your special club, these folks come to you, and in fact, these world-class profit-making mentors come to share with your whole staff their wisdom and nice-sized half-day seminars, and all this productive training is rolled out for your team at a cost less than a local Chamber of Commerce session. All these sages are in one faculty, and you as a club member get to choose the topic you want. This is what Leadership USA is doing for other firms, and they can do it for your firm. So if you would like to find career fulfillment and uh, have your corporate leaders take heart and come back burbling with ideas, uh, we invite you to uh, visit leadershipusa.biz. And if you are in the New York area, you may uh, write this station and see if you would be interested in our December 12th uh, breakfast for the New York chapter. And we will f accommodate you and show you exactly what Leadership USA can do for you. And moving on out of, uh, while we're moving on into things that can enhance you and enhance your career, let's look at one, a new career enhancement. Number six, Mr. Bill Gates. Now, here is a man who has made many uh, good decisions and some bad ones, too. He's one of two Internet giants who decided not to complete their academics at Harvard. Uh, I believe the other one had something to do with a Facebook. Um, anyway, he plunged into the real world with full vigor. Bill began Microsoft in 1975, avidly studying all that was out there. Brilliant individual. And if you want to find out how brilliant, take a look at his pancake sorter algorithm. Uh, look, look that one up. But uh, and certainly, I would say the biggest blunder of IBM was not to allow this genius to take 
the bit in his mouth and run with it. Uh, and frankly, ever since then, International Business Machine has been playing catch-up in the computer industry. But there were many right decisions that Bill Gates brought to the mystic realms of cyberspace. Yet the one I really think launched his organization and his fortune was his insistence in his open letter to hobbyists and his practices that computer software was not some open fun toy that all the kids in the box should share. He said here was a business opportunity, and with his Altair basic computer programming, that software was like a book, a new book, or a new knife blade. It was a source of sale that required patenting, respect of patents, and the use of individual business methods that would take it forward. Gates led the charge in moving the entire computer industry from really just a bunch of geeks swapping toys in garages into a business that served and still serves our entire planet. It, it's less a case of greed, I think, so much as revealing and finding the best avenue to share your ideas. The goal of business is, after all, to create and distribute useful entities for all. I think we are richer that the move was made in the computer to make it something, a, uh, to use the avenue of business and the business method and to make it sell and bring a little healthy competition. We are, uh, heaven knows, we all use it and today. And moving on, let's move to number seven. Now, this one is, alas, uh, just by mentioning the name, you're going to know whether it's good or bad. Borders Books. Sad story. In 1971, Thomas and Lewis started uh, Borders started their uh, uh, their book firm. They, well, they were in college at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. They founded their first store, and probably their best executive decision was the development of some custom inventory system. It allowed each store to bring exactly what the clients wanted in that area. It was a very good idea. But success kept going. And so they opened more stores, more big box bookstores, more big box bookstores. In 2006, I was giving a lecture at one of the Borders stores for a book I'd done. And the word had come down to the managers. They could build eight more stores before they were totally built out. At this point, they had 399 stores. I went back and checked. They said eight more would build it out. And that, that was what the, the company had determined. That's what marketing told them. That's what everyone was telling them. Did they do it? No. They kept launching. They kept growing. A little bit of unbridled greed crept in. And they kept... Uh, they went to, by 2011, when they actually had to declare bankruptcy, they had 659 stores over the 407 that they estimated would be the absolute top. Now, they had too much debt. There was the crash of 2008. And a lot of things went into this. They're ignoring of e-books. But the real thrill, uh, the real problem with this was they had the thrill of success and all the greed that went with it, and it prevented them from pulling on the reins. So know when to stop, my friend. And as the, the lovely Mae West never said, moderation in all things. <laughs> and uh, 
now we're going to move on. We're gonna we're gonna let's go back to Hollywood at this point. I think there's uh there was a great uh after Tightwad Tom went out and said, No, 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 I know what the people want, we want to keep them tight. There was a they uh the Hollywood movie industry did something very, very clever. They developed, they called them the genius of Hollywood. A young man named Irving Thalberg came out and he decided to listen to clients. That is, he decided to stay to say what the people would need that would be that would make a film work. And he developed this whole system of previewing shows. You often hear about movie previews. It came from Irving Thalberg, 1926. He was the one who would preview the show. He discovered that the Marx Brothers and others had something to say that people liked. He would quiz the people. He had people who would show the preview show, and they would fill out a form, and they would give notes to waiters, in the, uh, the people sitting there, and they were writing them down. And from this, he built his product. In other words, he did what was very sensible. He listened to the clients. And I, that has made the movie that we all know and care for today, the movie industry. And I think we, uh, so we owe Irv a great debt, and uh, we have also learned a great deal from other people. So now, um, I think we have time for one, well, two quick ones. Let's see if we can fill in two quick ones. Number one, uh, well, number number 10, I guess we're up to now, Keurig Coffee and Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. This is, this was certainly not their idea from the very beginning, but I bring it up because I think it's been one of the the most successful uh, theories of bringing something to market. Curry Coffee had the idea of bringing the individual coffee uh, pod. You've seen them. They have the machines. You stick the pod in. You pull them down, and it works. They did They. – it was a brilliant idea of manu- – having coffee, but they sold it in what what has been called the razor-razor blade theory of goods distribution. They took, they merged with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, and together they developed the little pods from which they were making, by the way, 17 cents profit per pod. And they took, they said, they gave, they practically gave away the coffee machines. They tried to sell the coffee machines first. That was slow going. So they said, all right, we're going to move. The, uh, we'll give them the coffee machines. We'll get them on the, uh, the price of the pods. It's been wonderful, and they have done very well. And uh, one of the things that's just fascinating was that two of their major funders and people interested in that were Anheuser-Busch, and Coca-Cola, because both of them were so smitten with this pot idea, they've tried to join with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters and say, couldn't we make a pod for beer? Couldn't we make a pod <laughs> for Coke? And finally, they, uh, after many years of trying and many millions of dollars, they have been shed of that, but I think it's a fascinating thing. And finally, we come to, I think, one of the very best decisions, executive decisions made in America, and I'd like to give credit to one person, but it really is has been a dialectic that has worked through our whole nation. America is prosperous. 
because they made their people rich. Now, here's what I mean. The, America had burgeoning industry, and they, because we gave great hope to the entrepreneurs. But the entrepreneurs were no, in America were no different than anywhere else. They tried to pay their see how little they could get away with paying the people. And Karl Marx had come along with the idea that sharing the wealth uh, would be a beneficial thing. He was, uh, but the United States sort of went, went one better. They kept the individual incentive for the entrepreneur and through the use of unions and then common sense on the part of business owners, they made the people rich enough to buy the stuff that they were producing. If if we had kept the people poor, in fact, if they would never have been able to buy the Model T. They would never have been able to purchase all the stuff we have now. So I am going to say, finish off with a hip, hip hooray to America that shows that if you make people prosperous, just like giving them credit, there's you can you will yourself be putting bread on the waters so that'll come back to you. So I pass it on, and I hope you've had some fun with this. And as we round out today's feast, uh, let me remind you that I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who was it who said? Nothing sedates rationality like large doses of effortless money. <laughs> it's sort of a warning to all the trust fund babies and uh, the flash-in-the-pan entrepreneurs out there. Anyway, this 81 times over billionaire, the author of that quote, uh, is an 80 time, 81 times over billionaire who heads Berkshire Hathaway and investing firm, which boasts a 52-year return of over a 20%, not doing too shabby. If you know the name of the author of this quote, just scroll it across the, uh, the page or across your computer and email it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely life-changing and career-igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. <laughs> and as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, one iron-willed, ambitious individual can climb the highest mountain, but one compassionate person working with all his supporters can move it. <laughs> Just a thought. And to you gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you uh, with all the fun folks involved. And remember that you may download this with and all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com theartoftheceo.com. And finally to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. <laughs>